Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 33 My name's Dwayne Osterlund, and I'm your host. I'm also the co-founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute Family Counseling and Recovery Center in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with addiction, please go to our website at novusmindfullife.com and reach out for help. We have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Colleen Kinsella, and she is going to talk about gambling addiction. Now, I was really looking forward to recording this episode because I specialize in working with people who are struggling with sex and porn addiction. So this is in that behavior addiction area. And I wanted to talk to her about gambling addiction because I see that a lot with sex addiction and porn addiction. Those two kind of seem to go together a lot of the time. These behavior addictions kind of work together to regulate affect. So I was very excited to talk to Colleen about it and get her insight into this issue and to talk about her specialized training in this area. So I think it's a great episode. Colleen gave us a lot of really great information and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's start this episode. But before we do that, if you are really enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please go to iTunes and rate and review us. That really does get the word out about the addicted mind and it allows people to find us and allows us to get noticed and get this information out there. So if you're enjoying it, please rate and review us in iTunes. Okay, let's start this episode. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. This is episode 33 and my guest today is Colleen Concilia. And she is going to be talking about a topic that I'm really excited to have on the podcast. We're going to talk about gambling addiction and what that looks like and what that is and how we work with that. So, Colleen, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks. I am a licensed clinical social worker and a certified alcohol and drug counselor. And then I'm an internationally certified gambling counselor as well. So I practice in the state of Illinois. 
And I actually have two professional roles. Um, one, I am clinical director of an outpatient treatment center called Ren's Addiction Counseling Center. And then my second role is I have a private practice where I see various different adults, mostly not in the addiction realm, but more people that have had trauma and relationship issues. It sounds like uh, you've had a lot of experience, though, working in the addiction field. Yes, yes. I've been a counselor in the um, substance abuse and addiction field for about 27 years. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how you you got into working with gambling, because that's very kind of a niche in the addiction field. Sure. Well, the community that I work for, I've worked for a nonprofit for almost 25 years now. And in our community in 1995, we actually had a riverboat come into our community. Our office at that point was actually about three blocks from the riverboat. But we were mostly the community-based counseling center for substance abuse issues. And so... It was a neat thing because the city, it's about 35 miles from the city of Chicago. So the city of Elgin, it is, knew that when we looked at, with some of our guidance and help, knew that when we looked at statistics that back then, when a riverboat came into the area and the access to casino gambling increased, we knew that problematic issues would rise in the geographical area for people with compulsive gambling. So at that point, many people that would have traveled maybe to Las Vegas and things like that back then, because they would have it in their own backyard, we would begin to see more problems with gambling in our community. And so at that point, the city of Elgin actually um, provided our agency with some funding to get some therapists trained in compulsive gambling treatment and also provide compulsive gambling treatment in our community. So we've been involved in it and I've been involved in it since 1985. Wow, that's a, that's a long time. So yeah. So did you see that kind of increase as, as that kind of came into the community and you started to see people coming in with problematic gambling? Yeah, we did. And back in 1995, it was so kind of kind of unheard of in a lot of ways. And, you know, now people hear about gambling addiction a lot more. It's obviously more identified in the DSM-5. And it's the credibility, I guess, that it's actually an illness is much more respected. Back then, it was something that a lot of people still really didn't know about, still kind of thought that it was just people being irresponsible. But we definitely saw an increase in people having problematic gambling because they could have access to it. And that was really pre-internet access with gambling and things like that. So, Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit like what is problematic gambling? Because I've, I've been to Vegas and uh, played at some of the craps tables and, and stuff like that. And uh, it's pretty exciting and, and um, lost my share of, of money to gambling. But um, what is it and how, do, how does someone know that their gambling is problematic? Well, gambling by definition is really an activity, whether it's a game of chance or skill, where and technically that definition is where there's an item of value is placed at risk in an attempt to gain something of greater value. So definitions by people think some things are gambling and some things aren't gambling, but really it's sometimes gambling games are of skill and some are games of luck. 
but it's really where an item of value, usually money or something, is placed at risk of hoping to gain something else. And so people that have problems with gambling, much like substance abuse, it becomes more of a forefront of their life. And so many of the diagnostic criteria that we look at for compulsive gambling, and I use a lot of the terms in our field of gambling counseling, we use problem gambling, compulsive gambling, pathological gambling, gambling disorder, gambling addiction. We kind of use them all meaning the same things, although it's kind of like substance abuse and substance Substance dependence is no longer in its substance use disorder. And so the terminology has changed over time when we look at diagnostic criteria. But what we find is that there's definitely a progression. So people are needing to, for instance, bet larger amounts or gamble more often than they used to. So that progression, just like what we would see in substance use, where people have to possibly use more of the substance or more often of the substance to get the same kind of effect that happens in gambling as well. So they start to increase their betting or spending more money than they have or taking loans out to kind of facilitate that process? Yeah, ultimately, that's kind of what it looks like with the progression is oftentimes they may increase the monetary value of a single bet, but they also may increase the time that they're gambling. So for many people, it starts off, I mean, it's a social activity. Many people go gambling with friends, family, things like that. And that's kind of how they're introduced to it. Some people that I've worked with over the years are really introduced to gambling in childhood where Maybe they would go to bingo with mom or maybe they at family get togethers and holidays, they played poker with the family. And so they were, or maybe they went to the track with dad. And so they were introduced to it really young. And then it just kind of became like a norm in a sense. But usually, you know, people that are introduced to it even later on, it's just a social activity and it doesn't hurt a lot of people. You know, people that go gambling and they, you know, gamble their 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever they put aside. And when they're done, they're done and they leave and it was fun and, and that kind of thing. But for many people, you know, that is kind of the hook for them. And what they find is that lots of times then they're going gambling by their by themselves. They're not going with friends anymore. And it progresses from there. And so it starts to really infringe in their life and take over many things where people will start to lie to family members about where they are and what they're doing. They'll try, they'll lie about access to money and things like that. And when it progresses, really more so is that when people are taking credit cards out that maybe a spouse or a partner doesn't know about or they're doing a second mortgage on the house where a spouse or a partner doesn't know. So they're starting to, they're kind of starting to hide their behavior. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's gambling for a long time has been termed the hidden addiction because you can't really look at somebody and know that they've been gambling. They don't smell like gambling. They don't look like they're under the influence of gambling, anything like that, like it is with substance use disorder. And so it's very hidden like that. And when people have a gambling problem and they are the person in their family or their marriage or they're single and they have full control over their money, it becomes more problematic because lots of times if you are married to a compulsive gambler or have a partner, you might not know that it's going on at all if you have no control over the money parts of your life. And many times gamblers can do things that are against the law to support their gambling. So things like 
taking out credit cards in other people's names and embezzling from their employer and those kinds of things to support their gambling because they get very desperate when they've lost a lot of money and they do things they wouldn't normally do. Just like we have when people are abusing substances, they do a lot of things they wouldn't normally do. Okay. So yeah, so they're starting to take out these these loans. They're starting to kind of cross their own values and, and mm-hmm. judgments to to kind of keep this going. So so what's kind of driving this behavior for them? What are they getting out of it in, to kind of keep doing it over and over again? Right. When we look at what our research shows about compulsive gamblers is that there's kind of two categories that they fit into. And One is what we call an action gambler, and one is what we call an escape gambler. So an escape gambler is somebody that seeks out gambling really because it's a way for them to kind of numb out and to use gambling in a way that they can forget about their stressors. They can kind of disconnect with what's going on in their life and any kind of uncomfortable feelings they have about anything. And they are just one within the activity. Many times what we see escape gamblers do as far as games of choice is that they would be at a video terminal. They might play slots, they might play video poker, that kind of thing. And they very much focus on, it's just a relief and a release and escape. Right, I could definitely, like I could see that. You're, you're sitting at the slot machine and you're putting in money, you're pressing the button right. and there's some thrill in it, but at the same time, it's very repetitive. It's almost um, hypnotizing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And actually gamblers will talk about that whole dissociative state that sometimes they go into and they lose time when they're gambling. That happens quite often for people. It's almost kind of trance-like in a sense. So that numbing is becomes very powerful. And sometimes when their progression looks pretty severe, they really disconnect from things like thirst and hunger and needing to go to the bathroom. It's like their their body and their senses is really kind of numbed out and they're almost just so focused on what's in front of them that they disregard what's even happening in their own body. Okay. And with this 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 subset of like gamblers, are they escaping? I would imagine they're escaping like anxiety or depression in their life. And this is a way for them to just kind of numb out to the world. Yes. And what we find um, for many people that are like more seniors that are gambling, a lot of times what they tend to escape from is grief, grief and loss, grief of maybe a significant other partner who's died or grief of losing a role of being a caretaker of that partner as well. And so that is common for, for senior gamblers. The research that we look at is that substance abuse and gambling often goes kind of hand in hand. People that have gambling issues, usually about two thirds of them have some kind of substance use disorder. And then when we look at research for what we would call that comorbid or co-occurring disorders with mental health issues and gambling, we know that about half of them struggle with some kind of mood disorder, so depression types of and about 40% of them struggle with anxiety. So very much that escape gambler can escape from all of those uncomfortable feelings, all of the things that cause them stressors on a daily basis. And it works well. And that's why they continue to go back and go back because that numbing is very powerful for them. It's a way to get away from all of that pain, I would imagine. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. 
So what about this other subset, the active gambler? Yeah. So when we look at another type is very different as an action gambler. And that person is somebody that really likes the euphoria of the whole gambling experience and the high. It's Some of it almost looks like the connection that people get from a cocaine high. So those gamblers most often are gamblers that might gamble at the table if you look at a casino or might do off-track betting or might do horse racing, that kind of thing. And so they oftentimes almost can go on what we would look at like a cocaine binge, you know, when we look at substance use disorder, is they may go on that action binge and be very pumped up. They're very excited. They very much connect to what's going on. When you look at what happens in a casino, they, they, they like the attention. So if they're at a game table and they're winning and they're, they like the, the thrill of it and they like people watching them and being able to root them on and that kind of thing, that limelight is very enticing to them. So there's a lot of, in this, there's a lot of high energy. Yes. And it's sometimes feeling very good about themselves in the moment. There's something that they're very good at. There's something that people are giving them attention, maybe that they desire in different places in their life that they're not getting. And they feel very empowered and powerful in those moments where it's maybe something that there might be that things in their life they're feeling very out of control of. But in that setting and with gambling, they feel very, very different something that they probably desire in their more day-to-day life on an emotional level, but they don't have. So this brings this to them and it kind of fills that void. So in either either kind of side of this, they're using gambling as a way to regulate themselves or uh, change how they're feeling, either numb out and kind of just get away from all those painful feelings or create an intensity to get away from other painful feelings. Yes, yes. Very much like substance use disorder in that sense. Yeah, we were talking earlier before we started recording, just talking about how I work with a lot of people who struggle with sex addiction and porn addiction. And this is just very, very similar. Mm -hmm. That whole process addiction world. Yeah. Very different than chemical addiction, but process addiction, right? Yeah, that process addiction and finding those people who are kind of using the the behavior to kind of numb out and then those others who are using the behavior to create some kind of high. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And, and then that compulsive nature of it, it seems like this is, this is their go-to for their life. Right. And a human experience, we like to do things that we enjoy. We like to do things that provide us with pleasure. And those are the things that we tend to repeat in life. And so it makes sense that if this is a pleasurable activity that they receive, at least in the beginning, there's consequences later on, but at least in the beginning, it's very pleasurable that it's enticing that way. And that whole reward system is very powerful. So I, I have a, the next question I have is, when do people come in for this? I mean, this is kind of like you said, very much like sex and porn addiction. It's very hidden. Mm-hmm. When do people kind of come in and say, okay, I need help? Well, with compulsive gambling, sometimes people will come in through the criminal justice system, sometimes, not as often. Most of the time people are coming in because family is really pressuring them to seek help. And that's because at some point family has found out about the gambling and financially they're in a very, very difficult spot. And so oftentimes they're not necessarily coming in because they think they have a problem, but more so that somebody else is saying, 
you need to do, to deal with this. And sometimes it's even in a situation of like some kind of ultimatum from a partner. So they get into help out of that crisis and then they're kind of kind of pushed into help. Right, right. And sometimes it's, they have a lot of desperation. There's different phases of gambler, gambling that we look at as we look at the progression. And many times I get phone calls from people that are dealing with gambling when something pretty significant in their lives has just happened. Like they went gambling and they lost a significant amount of money. And so they are feeling very much that crisis and they needed to, their spouse found out about it or, or that kind of thing. I also see seniors where their adult children are bringing them in and they're wanting them to get help because maybe mom or dad has gambled much of their retirement and they're not able to support themselves. Oh, that's awful. Yes. That is so awful to, to hear that. I mean, that's just uh, heartbreaking. So when they come in, it sounds like, and I'm imagining that um, there might be a lot of denial about their issue. Yeah. And, you know, I think in, in a sense, that's similar to what we see when we're dealing with substance use is that a lot of times other people in their life know that it's more of a problem than they themselves do. Or they think that it may have caused consequences, but they really believe powerfully that they can control it. And so kind of where I start with people is really letting them talk about the good things about it. And I want to hear what draws them to gambling. And I want to hear what's helpful to them about gambling. And then we begin to look at ways that they've tried to cut down or control or stop. Because usually by the time they seek any kind of help, they've already tried many different things because they realize that it's created problems, but they don't necessarily wholeheartedly believe in that they need to completely stop. It's usually that ideally they want to try to control their gambling and gamble maybe not as much when they go or be able to leave when they're up and they've won and not have to wait until they leave when they've lost it back and they've lost it all. So they kind of make deals with themselves to like, okay, I'm only going to do this much. And if I do this, then hopefully I'll win and I'll make this kind of bargain and Mm -hmm. end up breaking their own bargain, I would imagine. Yes. And that's part of just the progression of it that many times they'll say, I'm only going to spend this amount of money. And then they're going to ATM and they're getting cash advances on their credit cards and things like that, where they're gambling more and more and more because they've lost or they've lost quickly and then they need to gain it back. And that's part of the diagnostic criteria when we look at is that whole chasing chasing the loss, either taking out more money and, and having to win that back or going back like the next day or the next couple of days and having to go back and win win back what they lost. And that's a, that whole kind of addictive cycle is very powerful. Right. Do they, once they kind of start to realize this, I mean, what are the, I guess I'm asking, when do they start to kind of realize, okay, this is, I really need to do something serious about this? A lot of times that happens, what I've seen actually in my own clinical work is when I can get family involved and when they're actually hearing and seeing the pain that family members are in because of the gambling. It also comes when we try to work on, and I don't do this right away, but when we try to work on a total losses understanding of really when we take out the calculator and we look at mathematically like 
how much have you been spending for how many years and how much have you lost and what do you have to show for and things like that, then it becomes very enlightening for them. And it's very hard. I would imagine uh, heartbreaking too. Yes, it's very hard to accept. And so obviously I don't do that until I think that they have the ability to regulate that because it, it's it's shocking, it's painful and, and all of that. And so that doesn't come right away. But that kind of strips some of that denial and some of that, it opens up the door for maybe this is more of a problem than they think. And could they possibly look at, do a lot of motivational interviewing with them? Could they possibly look at making a short-term commitment to look at abstinence and see how that is for them? And at some point in the future, if they want to go back to gambling, you know, they always have that right. And so a lot of early recovery really looks at decreasing access to money, having a lot more accountability. And for people that do gamble at casinos, looking at the whole self-exclusion process so that it's much harder for them to gamble. Right, right. And so they start to see that. What about because they've been covering up all these uncomfortable affective states Mm -hmm. using gambling, do they start to kind of incorporate those, getting some tools so that they can deal with those emotions? Do they see the connection eventually, I guess? Yeah, I think they do. A lot of times people will identify, because we we will look at history of gambling, and that's one of the activities that I have them spend some time outside of session really working on is a gambling history as to when they were introduced to it and the things that it's done for them, life experiences as to what was going on, and really so we can begin to look at the progression. And when we examine that, we're able to see some of those emotional issues, some of those life issues. Maybe there's big trauma that has happened to them. Maybe there's littler kind of traumatic experiences that have happened to them. And we begin to kind of pull those out and make sense of why and how gambling filled something for them along the way and what it specifically did for them. And then from there, we need to look at, okay, what are some things in your present day life that we can implement in your life as far as coping skills and activities and relationships and connections that can fill some of that same void that gambling was able to fill for you. Right. So they're able to kind of be able to kind of make that connection between the gambling and their own history and their own trauma history and put those pieces together. Right. Yeah. That sounds that sounds exciting for them. At that point, maybe they can really see what this is. Yes. And for many people, they are dealing not only in the counseling process, by the time someone comes to counseling, they may have identified that they have a substance use disorder and a gambling disorder and depression or and anxiety or and post-traumatic stress disorder. So you're dealing with all of these things at once, really trying to help the person weed out a lot of things. So not only working on coping for like anxiety, but also coping for abstinence if they're working on that towards substance use, as well as abstinence towards gambling. So a lot of it is happening all at once for people. Do you see a lot of kind of comorbid kind of issues? When I'm working with sex addiction and and porn addiction, a lot of times I also see gambling in there, like sprinkled in or Mm -hmm. substance use sprinkled in as another way of self-regulating. Yes. And 
what we know is if you don't kind of look at both of those at the same time, one pops up more when you try to reduce the other. <laughs> yeah, you know? so, um, definitely seen that. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole need to soothe and the whole need to cope and the whole need to calm down and the whole need to escape, it's still there until the person develops many more coping skills. And so if you take one away, the person knows what works. And so they're going to mostly increase the other activity. And that makes a lot of sense. None of us want to be in any kind of emotional pain. If, and if we don't know right. how to get out of it right. in a healthy way, we'll find a way to get out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the powerful thing about gambling is that for many people, it soothes a lot of pain that they have. And that, can, that pain comes from all different reasons. Yeah. And I think as a culture, a lot of times these behavior addictions kind of get chalked up to a lack of character or, or a moral issue when we're really looking at this is an affective, emotional brain issue that needs to be taken care of. Right. Right. Yeah. And it is, we've seen a lot more growth like in the substance use field as far as insurance covering it and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, with gambling addiction, we're not seeing that. For many people that seek help, their insurance policy has specifically written out gambling disorder from being covered for treatment, which is really unfortunate that it's seen that way from insurance companies. So it makes it harder for people to get help that way unless they have some nonprofit agencies around in their area and that kind of thing that will be able to serve them no matter what their financial situation is. Because you've usually got somebody in pretty significant financial stress in their life also seeking help. And then if insurance isn't going to help pay for that, that's just a reason not to get help. It becomes another barrier to treatment. It does. Yeah, very much so. Right. And and mental health in general, they're... Um, we're still, we have a long way to go to mm-hmm. make this such a priority and it could help so much. So Right. And when we look at all of the mental health issues that people deal with, I mean, we know from research that if you treat those, their health issues will be better. Exactly. I know. You know? And so when you look at, it's really, treat, treating mental health is really a preventative health process. So, but we don't necessarily always see that hand in hand when we look at money and how to help people. That's awesome. Well, Colleen, thank you for coming on and sharing that and, and giving this information out there for everybody to, to, to know more about this issue. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on yeah. and being a part of that. Yeah, it's been a great opportunity. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Is there anything you would want to say to the families or someone out there struggling with this? Is there any last words you'd want to give them? I think family members just, you know, sometimes it's easy to think that it's their problem and that it's not yours. And very much family members are affected by um, problem gambling. And so my encouragement would be to try to get some help and support for yourself as well. There's outside support systems like Gamblers Anonymous and Smart Recovery for the person that has gambling issues. There's also Gammonon for family members. And most states have a hotline that you can reach out to and get some help and get referrals. The National Council on Problem Gambling has a hotline number as well. And March actually is National Gambling Awareness Month. So the whole, the whole focus this month is to begin to have that conversation. So it's kind of fitting that we're doing the taping in March. 
Oh, that's that's awesome. And what I'll do is I'll get all those links and I'll I'll put them on the website in the show notes and and that'll be at the addictedmind.com forward slash thirty-three. So anybody can go there and get that information if if they need it. Great. So Colleen, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And if anybody wants any more information, how can they get a hold of you? Sure. I'd love to be a resource for anyone. You can probably best contact me at Colleen at healthandhealingtherapy.com. My practice is in Bartlett, Illinois. Or if you're in the Illinois area and you're wanting to seek specifically gambling treatment, you can contact me at Colleen at Renz, R-E-N-Z, center.org. And we are one of the nine treatment providers across the state that are funded to see people that have gambling issues and their family members. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm going to have all that information in the show notes. Once again, it's going to be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 33. And you can get all of Colleen's information. And uh, we'll go from there. Thanks again, Colleen. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 33. I'm excited that you are listening. One thing I'd love to ask, if you have any comments about this episode, please go to the website, comment on the website. I love reading what people are thinking and what questions they have. So if there's anything you'd like to say more about this, please go to the website, theaddictedmind.com. Go to the episode, comment on it. I really appreciate it. I love to hear from you guys. All right, everybody. I will see you next week. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, And we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast. And we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.